Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as, uh, as Ms. Rhonda takes the kids back to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, and we're going to go to two, we're going to be in two uh, places this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Now, because I have like two um, kind of focal texts that we're going to be in this morning, they're on the screen, uh, so you're welcome to follow along there. I would still encourage you at least to, to turn to one of them um, in, in your Bible. Uh, and so this morning we're talking about the importance of one. Now think about that number for a second. Think about one. Um, maybe we often think of one as, as being small and insignificant, Okay. Like maybe as a child, you remember uh, begging your mom or your dad for a cookie, and the response was, okay, but just one. Are you, are you kidding me? Because the cookie makers like put a, something addictive in there so that when you have one, you want five or six or 15. So I've been told. <laughs> how, about, how about one dollar? Think about that. When I was a kid, we got a dollar from the tooth fairy when we lost a tooth. A dollar. So, so cool, right? I have a whole dollar, right? Now, I guess depending on where you go, uh, a dollar won't even buy a cup of coffee. I mean, like, I mean, that's like almost a, in order to get like a Starbucks latte, I mean, that's like almost your full mouth, right? <laughs> Hardly enough, if you drink enough of those, you, your teeth will fall out, and then... <laughs> Think about that, though. The one. One. If, if you're a sports fan, maybe, maybe one uh, means either, hey, we won by one point or one run, or, as I've come to experience, we've lost by one point or one run. Well, while we might tend to, to say that, that one's not significant, what we see in the Bible over and over again is the importance of one. In fact, what we're going to look at this morning is two different stories where one made all the difference in the world. See, the disciples of Jesus often overlooked the value of just one. And yet... Jesus never did. Jesus could, be, could have been surrounded by a crowd, having people touching him left and right, and yet when the woman with an issue of blood simply touches him and she's healed, Jesus stops and says, someone touched me. And his disciples are thinking to themselves, no joke, Jesus. Like, like of course people, someone touched you. Like, there's people all around. What do you mean somebody touched you? He said, no, I felt power go out of me. Somebody, that that one was different. And Jesus stops and turns his attention to the one. Do we often overlook the value of one? One invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one coworker, one friend. Here's a challenge. Can you name one person, can you think of one person 
who has come to faith in Christ through your invitation or through your witness? Just one. See, here's the thing, right? The, the gospel makes all this possible because Paul will tell us in Romans 1.16 that the, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation. And in that same passage, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And listen, as we are not ashamed of the gospel, as we are bold to declare it, as we are... As we are Um, diligent to build relationships for the sake of sharing the gospel, how much difference could one make? So we're going to see this morning. So if you will, turn with me to John chapter 1, and then we're going to turn back to Matthew 13. Okay, John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, and Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Let's stand together as we read these two passages together. John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46. In John 1, we're told, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. And then Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. This time it's Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these two passages that we're going to look at this morning. And I pray that we would not overlook the significance of one. This morning, will you open all of our eyes to one person, one family that's already a part of our lives who need to hear the gospel. Will you give us the boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So, in these two stories, it's really interesting. Um, we, you have uh, Philip, who's encountered Jesus, and he goes and, and at least in the in the story, we're we're given the the sense of some immediacy. In verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. Those are familiar words. We've looked at a couple of passages over the past few weeks where, where Jesus just simply walks up to somebody and says, Follow me. And, and get this, they do. They, they leave everything that they have and they follow Jesus. And then in verse 45, we're, we're told that Philip found Nathanael and told him, so, so Philip becomes a follower of Christ, and he immediately goes out and finds Nathanael and tells him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Now think about that for a second. So you're talking about someone uh, declaring that Jesus is the Messiah who, who's been promised, we know at least from the time of the prophets, some 
seven or eight hundred years before Jesus. And yet here, Philip says, we found the one that Moses wrote about. We found the promised one. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, now look at what Nathaniel does, okay? Because there's immediate deflection here. Jesus of Nazareth, and instead of saying, wow, that's, he's the Messiah, that's awesome, uh, Nathaniel goes, from Nazareth? Are you, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Maybe you grew up in a place that is like Nazareth. <laughs> so, so Nathaniel's immediately disbelieving. He's immediately skeptical. Does that sound familiar at all? Let me tell you about the one person who can change your life. I'm not really religious. I, 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 don't, I don't really know. You know, maybe, maybe there are all, you know, I think there are all kinds of paths to God. Now, now, here's what's interesting, right? Philip doesn't start arguing with him. He simply says, come and see. Come and see. When's the last time you invited somebody to come and see? When's, when's the last time we encountered someone who wasn't a believer, who has questions? And, and, and maybe, maybe that's an invitation to church. But maybe that's as simple as an invitation to, you know what, I... I we, we believe that, that the Bible is God's word, right? We believe that, that everything that we need to know about who God is and, and about faith is, is right here. So when's the last time you simply said, hey, I know you've got some questions of, about this Jesus guy. Come and see. The psalmist would say it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. Then we get to, to Matthew 13, which is a completely different passage and completely unrelated to Philip and Nathaniel. There's a parable that, that Jesus told, as, as he often liked to do. Tell, to a parable simply a story with a point. So Jesus liked to, liked to tell these stories. In verse, beginning in verse 44, there, there are two, um, two passages here, two stories. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, there's some interesting discussion among uh, commentators here about whether or not this is um, talking about a believer finding the kingdom of God, because the question, of, of course, then is, well, can we find the kingdom of God? Um, to which my response would be, no, unless God's opened our eyes to see the, the value and the beauty of the kingdom of God. But notice what happens. It's a merchant in search of fine pearls. His job is to trade. His job is to make money. And he does that by finding pearls. And all of a sudden, he finds one, we're told, that's priceless. Maybe yours says, of great value or something like that. And when he finds it, he stops 
his search. And he goes and sells everything he has to purchase that one pearl. So so what we see happening here, what, what Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is worth pursuing. It's worth leaving everything in order to pursue. The one thing that stopped this man dead in his tracks because he discovered something of such great worth that nothing else mattered. So if we're talking about our one, then then what is that one thing that that causes us to stop that's worth everything else in our lives, that's that's worth abandoning every pursuit in order to to follow? The Bible would say it's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. So here's where we go, okay? So so what what do we do with these two stories? Well, first of all, if we're going to reach one, it requires us committing to being an intentional witness, okay? It will require intentionality on your part. Most of the time, this will not just happen, okay? Um, sometimes, you'll have an encounter like, like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Who's, uh, Philip's, uh, the Spirit tells Philip, I want you to go stand in this spot, and he goes, And a chariot pulls up, and this guy's sitting there reading the book of Isaiah. And he's reading out of Isaiah 53, where it talks about a man being led away like a sheep to slaughter. So Philip walks up and says, hey, this is fortuitous. The Spirit told me to come here, and I just happened to come across a guy who's reading his Bible. So he just walks up and, and asks a simple question, right? Do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? The Ethiopian's response is, no. How can I unless someone explains it to me? Listen, that's a green light to share the gospel, right? Like you come upon somebody who's reading their Bible. Hey, what you reading? I'm reading the Bible. Cool, do you understand it? No. Like, in case you're looking for a sign, there's your sign, okay? Opportunity. Most of the time, it's not going to happen like that, right? It requires intentionality. It requires us getting to know other people, investing in them in order that we might come to know more than just, uh, hey, how was your weekend? Good. Oh, see you later, right? It's, it's going to require more than just that kind of interaction. It's going to require intentionality. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. It also will probably require some degree of accountability. Because I don't know about y'all, I am great with making commitments. I am not so great with the follow-through. Michelle will tell you, right? Um, I, I have, I have a, a, a problem that's called I can't say no. Um, and, and so, like, I have a tendency to, to fill things on my schedule, and then I have a problem of some, sometimes of following through. Why? Lack of accountability, right? Now, I, I don't think I'm the only one. I'm going to say, okay? We, we, we all, right? Like, you ever had something that's, oh, man, this is super exciting. Wait, that's a lot of hard work. Looks so good on paper. It was a brilliant idea. Can somebody else carry through with this? Can somebody else do it? Right? That's where partners come in, right? Like, 
get this like the local church, where, where we are called um, in Hebrews 10.24 to not neglect meeting together, but, but to make it a priority to gather together as followers of Christ in order that we might encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good works, as the writer of Hebrews says. This is part of the accountability of, of not just a church body, of a small group, right? As we've, I, I hope that at least at some point in, in small groups, if not, I have an assignment for you right now, that, that you'll talk about your ones, right? I mean, we have names here in a basket that we'll talk about, hey, this is, this is the person that I'm trying to build a relationship with. This is a five-week series. I don't expect that you're going to build a relationship, that, that all of us will build relationships to the point where we're able to share over the course of five weeks. That's why we're saying through the end of the year. I believe we have, if I did my counting right, we have 33 weeks till the end of the year. So look at that, it's 33 weeks that we have the opportunity to build relationships in order to share the gospel. But it also requires maturity. It requires that we're growing in our relationship with Christ so that we can point other people to who Jesus is. Because our call as disciples is not just to grow our own relationship with Christ. It's, it's to make disciples who make disciples. As we saw in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul, Paul called Timothy, uh, uh, the things that you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That there's a reproduction that's happening. And, and, and so as, as we are sharing Christ... Our goal is not just to like win a convert and get them baptized and check off our list and say, look at how many people have won to Christ. Our goal is to make disciples. To, to see someone come to faith in Christ, yes, but then to walk with them as they grow in their relationship with Christ in order that they might then do the same thing with someone else. Share the gospel. Help them grow. In order that that disciple might make more disciples. That's how the kingdom of God grows. So it requires intentionality. It requires us to, to, to commit to being intentional. It also requires us to go and tell. So, so think about this for a second, right? What would it look like if each of us in this room committed to some time between now and the end of the year, 30, 33 weeks, inviting one person now, now get this, right? I'm not saying, like, get your whole office together. Look, if that's you, man, if you're like, hey, I've got my whole office, I'm just going to take them all, it's going to be great. God bless you. Do it. But, but what would it look like if we, if we committed to taking one person to breakfast or to coffee or to lunch in order to share the gospel with them? What would it look like if each family in our church, invited one family from your neighborhood to your house sometime through the next year in order to share the gospel with them. Then here's the last one. What would it look like for, for you, for each person here, to invite one unchurched person to church? Unchurched meaning more than likely unsaved to, to come and see, to come be a part of a worship gathering. Just like Peter invited Andrew, his brother, to come to Jesus. Just like Philip invited Nathaniel, his friend, to come to Jesus. 
There was a song back in the, I don't know, 80s or so, I'm assuming, um, called Each One Reach One. Anybody remember that? Really, really catchy, really pithy. Do you know the whole, the whole thrust behind the idea of that song? It's, it's discipleship. It's sharing. This, this whole thing, who's your one, that, um, that, that the North American Mission Board put out this program and partnering with the Southern Baptist Convention President, J.D. Greer. Um, all they did is updated the language and updated the graphics. This is a, a, an idea that Southern Baptists have been doing for decades. That one person would reach one other person with the gospel. I like what, what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians. Um, and th- you, you don't have this um, on your notes. It's not on the screen. You can just jot it down. 2 Corinthians 3. Paul says this. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Just think about that, right? If, if on the day when, when we enter into God's presence, if, if that question were to be asked, what have you done for the kingdom of God? And just imagine what it would be like if we just had one person. I, I shared Christ with this person. I discipled this person. And then to see the generations of believers that come into the kingdom of God because of one. Isn't that how we became believers? If you're a follower of Christ here, isn't that how you came into the kingdom of God? Someone shared the gospel with you. Whether that was a parent or a grandparent or a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a neighbor, someone shared the gospel with you. And here we are gathered together as a local church from folks uh, all over the country, folks from all different kinds of backgrounds, gathered together to worship the Savior of the universe because someone shared with us. And now we have the privilege of sharing with someone else. In fact, I would argue that's the whole reason that like, the moment you become a believer, you're not just snatched up into heaven like that. That you're not just like Star Trek, you know, up. Because God's plan to reach the world is believers. It's the church. It's why we exist. That's why Jesus' last words to his disciples weren't, well, good luck. He gave them a charge, make disciples. And he gave them a command with a promise. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, here's the cool thing, and I think that that probably the biggest thing that we often overlook, and we'll talk about excuses that we uh, sometimes use here in just a second, but but, but I think one one of the reasons that we probably have so many excuses and so many issues with with sharing is because we don't believe the promise. So we'll have like the weight of this command, right? Make disciples. Oh, gosh, like I know I should be sharing, and and I I know I need to open my mouth and say something, but I don't have the words. We we forget the, the promise, And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So if we believe that, right, if we believe in in God's sovereignty, if we believe in his power, if we believe in the Holy Spirit working in our lives, shouldn't we believe that God's gone before us? 
and a softening heart as well? That in the moment that I like knock on a door, invite someone out to lunch, that, that, that maybe, just maybe, I'm not like sharing brand new information with them, but maybe God's already working on their hearts and they just don't have the framework to process what's happening? I wonder how that would change. I wonder how that would change my own life. If I just started assuming that before I walk into a coffee shop to build a relationship with someone, that God's already in there. And that the Holy Spirit just might already be working. What if you believe that about the office? Like, like what, if you, what, if, what if you didn't think that without you it would be a godless place to be? Maybe with you it's a godless place to be too. I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe your workplace is awful. I don't know. But what if we just believe that God was at work behind the scenes in ways that we can't even imagine? That might um, take care of some of these excuses that we're going to talk about, right? So, so in these excuses, I'm not like seeking to bang you over the head, but, but sometimes just it helps to recognize them, right? I mean, one of the things, hopefully, you, if you go to the doctor and there's something wrong with you, like you want him to diagnose you, Right? Like, I mean, if you, so if you've got cancer like, that's running rampant in your body, you don't want your doctor to just say, well, nope, you look good. Everything's fine. Go home. It'll all be okay. No, like, we need to be diagnosed with issues, right? So, so we want to recognize um, these excuses. And then, if, if this is you, we, we repent of them, right? Now, keep in mind, look, none of us is... Perfect. None, none of us is as strong as we think we are. None of us is as far along in our relationship with Christ as we'd probably like to be. And so understand that when we gather, uh, we gather here to declare that we don't have it together. Like that's the whole point of gathering as a local church, right? That you might encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good works. So what does that mean? That means I need to be spurred on. That means I'm probably not where I need to be. If you're perfect, you're welcome to see yourself out because none of the rest of us is. <laughs> and that's, that's where I think I've shared this before. One of my favorite quotes about the local church comes from Charles Spurgeon who said, um, if, if you're looking for a perfect church, uh, number one, you're not going to find one. But in the event that you ever do find one, you should completely avoid it because you will ruin it. Okay? If, you, if you find a perfect church, stay away because you'll blow the whole thing up. That's why I've not found a perfect church yet. <laughs> I would blow it up, okay? So, so here's, our, here's some excuses that maybe you've, you, you identify with that you've dealt with. Um, spiritual lethargy, okay? Um, so, so just think, like, if you've ever felt just kind of lethargic, just kind of blah, this would be like a spiritual blahness, right? Uh, and, and usually that takes place when we fail to obey. And, and this lack of growth, is just this kind of stagnation in our lives, um, will usually lead to a, um, a, a decreasing or diminished desire to share Christ with others. Okay? Um, something we're dealing with with our culture is a growing inclusiveness. Okay? The, the idea that, well, ultimately all roads lead to God. So whether you approach this uh, from an evangelical Christian standpoint or a Muslim standpoint, or Buddhist, or Hindu, or humanist secularism, um, which is, uh, I believe in me, I believe in us, that's about it. Um, Regardless, we're all climbing the same mountain to get to God. Um, I I don't have time, that's that's another message all in itself, to show why that's complete hogwash. Um, But 
often even in the minds of evangelical Christians, right? Sometimes um, we, can, we can begin to, to believe, well, they're, they're a good person. They have their own beliefs. I don't want to impose on them. Um, and, and what really is behind that is this, this subtle belief that, well, um, this person's a good person, so they must be on their way to heaven. Um, and listen, it's, it's not imposing if you ask permission, right? I mean, so, uh, and, and that's usually much more often done um, in a conversation than like standing on a street corner yelling at someone. It's a better way to build relationships, right? So, you know, you take somebody out to breakfast, take somebody out to coffee, you're getting to know them. And, and then you simply ask, hey, can, can I ask you a question? Can I share a story with you? They say yes, then, then you have permission. That's not imposing. They're welcome to say, thank you, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm really not interested. So in that point, we say, okay. Like we, we respect where they are, right? I mean, you don't just keep, well, no, you really need to hear this, right? No, okay. You continue building a relationship with them in the hopes that that wall comes down. Okay. Um, third, maybe, maybe we even wrestle with this, a disbelief in hell, a disbelief that God would actually send someone uh, to a place called hell that's completely separate, separated from him for all eternity. Uh, we'll look at that, uh, more of that next week. How about this one, busyness? Anybody? Amen or ouch? Yeah. Ouch and amen? Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's, here's what I'm learning in, in, in the busyness of life. Um, this goes back to intentionality, right? So I'm, if I'm intentional about my schedule, it tends to be cleaner than, than if chaos dictates my schedule. And so if we're talking about being intentional when it comes to sharing the gospel, that means we calendar for it, schedule it. Make it a point to do this. I'm, I'm going to invite this person to coffee on this day. I'm going to ask them to breakfast before work on this day in order that I might share. Because otherwise, something will, something will come up. Fear of rejection. I deal with this. But what if they say no? What, what, if, they, what if they tell me they're not interested? Well, listen, here's the thing about the gospel First of all, I mean, we're, we're promised that not everyone's going to receive it, right? So, so there you go. The fear of rejection maybe uh, can, can be, um, some of that fear can be put aside by the expectation of rejection. Like when I shared this, it's going to, the, the, the good news of the gospel, in order to make sense, first of all requires that the bad news of sin be exposed. And, and I don't know about you, but when my sin gets exposed, like my immediate Reaction to that is usually defensiveness. Well, this is sin in your life. But let me tell you why I'm the lone exception in all of humanity. Okay? Well, it's not really sin because, or everyone else does it, so it can't be that, right? So, so, so we expect that, and then we expect, trust that the Holy Spirit's working. But, but here's the thing. Um, the... If the gospel's good news, that means that it brings comfort to hurting people. And see, um, so also research helps us here. Research shows that, that only one in four unchurched people, so, so one in four, what we would say are most likely unsaved, 
um, are resistant to faith discussions. So that means that 75% are open. Now, now think about that for just a second. So in, in a state like New Mexico, where there's uh, roughly 90 to 95% lostness, and if 75% of people are open to at least having a discussion about spiritual things, I like those odds. I'm not a gambler. I don't suggest it. But if you had those kind of odds, you should go to Ruidoso, right? You would take those odds. 90 to 95% lostness and 75% of people are open. That means roughly three-quarters of the people you encounter would at least be open to having a spiritual discussion. But think about that. Our spiritual beliefs are intensely personal often, right? So you get to talking to somebody about their life and about their family and things that they care about. Sometimes it's a natural transition to, hey, you know, do you, do you ever think about spiritual things? You know, you've got a family. I know you've, you've shared some struggles that, at, that you have in life. Do you, do you, are you a spiritual person at all? They're open. I think sometimes we just use fear of rejection. Well, they don't want to hear about it, which usually means I don't want to tell them about it. So I'm going to pretend like they don't want to hear about it so I don't feel guilty about not telling them about it because they don't want to hear about it. A desire to be tolerant, this goes back, right? I don't want to impose my, my beliefs on someone. And, and, and listen, just because we share, we, we leave room for someone to reject. We see that all the time in the Gospels. We see plenty of times where Jesus called someone to himself and they had excuses for why they couldn't follow and they walked away. That's it's okay. We don't give up on them, but, but what we see is Jesus let people walk away. We've already talked a little bit about lack of accountability, right? Um, uh, a failure to invite. Again, this goes back, when's the last time you invited an unchurched person to, to come to church? By the way, uh, in our business meeting today, we're going to talk about this, but we've planned a, a potluck breakfast for the, the Sunday after Vacation Bible School, which is the 23rd. That's a really good time to invite someone to church. Hey, if you will come to church at 930, we're having breakfast, which almost certainly means bacon. And that, don't, don't underestimate the spiritual impact of bacon. Okay, that's all I'm saying. It's a great time to invite someone. There's, of course, a list of others. Maybe, maybe you have some, some excuses that you've dealt with as well. So, so here's our challenge, okay? Be intentional. Be accountable. That simply means telling someone else. I mean, so we've got a list of names here, but that would also maybe just mean telling someone else, hey, this is my one. This is the person whom I want to share Christ with sometime over this next year. You know what that gives that person permission to do? To check up on you, right? Hey, how's how's so-and-so? Have you seen them lately? Had any, turned any discussions from the weather to, to Jesus? And then the last thing is simply this. Would you, will you be maturing in your faith in order that you can disciple someone else? So here's our challenge, okay? 
invite one person. Between now and the end of the year, 33 weeks, invite one person to breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee, a movie, talk with them on the way, pick them up, something. And then maybe a challenge to each family is to invite one other family over for, for no other purpose than just building a relationship. Maybe there's a new family in your neighborhood. You just want to build a relationship and get to know them. And, and yeah, share, share the gospel. And then invite one person, sometime between now and the end of the year, one person to church. One of the things we're going to do is, as we um, progress here, uh, we have a bulletin board right outside of these, these right, my right, your left, these double doors. Um, we're going to put the names, j- just first names only. We're not going to put last names, just first names up uh, with a Hoosier One banner. Because we want to be diligent to pray for um, the folks that we've put on listed as our ones. And we also want to be able to track. So if you have a relationship with, you know, if, you, if you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, we want you to be able to indicate that on the bulletin board so we know how many conversations we've had. And then our prayer is that we'll be able to, to celebrate as our ones come to faith in Christ. And when that happens, you know what? You get a new one. And we get to do it all over again. It's great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather and to worship. We pray uh, that as we share the gospel, maybe sometimes in trembling breath, maybe sometimes scared to death, not sure what we're going to say, that, that you would give us boldness, that you would give us the words to say. Pray that you would soften hearts. Prepare them to hear the message of the gospel. That as we obey the Great Commission, we'll see the promise fulfilled and lives changed. Show us how to do that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.